Well, hello there, and welcome back to Just Saying Sports with Jake and Sean. I'm Jake Atnip here with Sean Dwyer. How's it going, guys? We have a pretty cool episode for you guys today. A good special little time here for Sean to dive into one of his favorite topics in the major leagues, and that'll be the farm systems of a couple teams here. And we'll get into that here in just a second. We got a couple other topics to talk to before we get into our Major League Baseball prospects. And Sean, to start off with, we're going to go back to one of our previous episodes. Uh, We did a really big episode about a month and a half ago about the NFL free agency after seeing Kirk Cousins sign yet another record deal for the largest contract in NFL history. Now, that didn't last too long, Sean. We talked about this. Yeah, we we talked about this. And we... uh, we predicted this, so especially with the guys that we talked about, Matt Ryan just got the largest contract ever. He became the first the NFL's first $100 million man, guaranteed. And we knew this was coming, Sean, so why do you think Matt Ryan got this big of a deal, and why didn't it last – why didn't Kirk Cousins' record last that long? Just based off resume, I think, you know, Matt Ryan can take that deal that Kirk Cousins signed – put it in front of the Atlanta Falcons and then show them Kirk Cousins' resume and then put down his resume right next to it and say, I have done more than this. I want to feel than this. And I think that's the position that the Falcons were in where they had to pay the King's ransom because Matt Ryan was perfectly right. You know, he's done more in his career than Kirk Cousins has to this point. And so he does deserve to have a bigger contract in theory. Well, he's done more than any of these guys who has had a – Big deal, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, um, all these guys at the top. You know, Drew Brees is the only one up at $25 million, I believe, who has, you know, even close to the resume that deserves this type of contract. And we talked about that before. And the thing that I think Matt Ryan, like you said, went to the Atlanta Falcons and said, hey, look, I'm an MVP. I've taken you to a Super Bowl. You know, like, I've gotten us this far. These guys just got the numbers. I've, I've had the numbers. I have the resume and the performance to back it up. So I think it was actually a really easy deal for the Atlanta Falcons to make. We talked about it before, and it's not like they're just going to let him go. And, you know, now – Start over. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with, with how big these contracts have gotten – I guess now that Matt Ryan signed a hundred million dollars guaranteed, it was a five-year deal, hundred and fifty million. Um, a hundred, hundred million of it is guaranteed. Signed through twenty twenty-three, and you know it was a no-brainer for the Atlanta Falcons to make this deal. But as we are paying quarterbacks thirty million dollars a year, this is going to start cutting into salary cap stuff here soon. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the NFL, you know, salary cap breakdown, it's going to start skewing more with one player taking up more than a handful of players in terms of the pie chart. You know, they break it down, put it in the pie chart by position. The quarterback position is going to start dwarfing other position groups in terms of its size. And I think it's going to start limiting these teams that have great quarterbacks like Matt Ryan with Atlanta. I wouldn't say Kirk Cousins is great but he's very good with Minnesota. And you start looking at that and what can these teams do to put people around them? It's going to start constricting 
what you can do with your rosters. So I think you're going to start seeing more teams with mediocre quarterbacks that have more playmakers starting to contend more with these quarterbacks because at the end of the day, football's a team sport. It all matters what you put around that quarterback. Yeah, he can have a great day and win you a game single-handedly, but you're not going to get that every week. Yeah, and I mean, that's why they pay these guys. You know, Matt Ryan actually has the most, you know, game-winning touchdown drives in the last five or six years. Actually, I think since he entered the NFL. Uh, But either way, you know, when you pay these guys this much money, it makes it hard on the rest of the franchise. And I don't think it's a bad thing for for the Falcons, especially because of the offense that they have right now. It only looks like they just want to win a Super Bowl, but – You know, it still is this question that what does this do to the NFL as a whole? And, you know, that kind of leads me into the next question I got for you, Sean. You know, now that we have had the first half of our premonition on the Matt Ryan contract come true, what happens with Aaron Rodgers? I think the Green Bay Packers saw this deal and just about cracked themselves. Because... As Matt Ryan could take that contract and go to the Atlanta Falcons and say, I've done more than Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers can take this contract, go to the Packers and say, well, I've done more than this guy. And so he's going to have – it's worked out great for Aaron Rodgers personally. He's going – his record's not going to last through Aaron Rodgers' contract negotiations. He's going to end up with the biggest contract in NFL history. Yeah, I don't see it going any other way as well, Sean. With – Aaron Rodgers being a multiple MVP, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you know, that just puts him that one even tier above Matt Ryan, which is hard to find, you know, finding a tier above Matt Ryan's pay grade, a tier above his talent, a tier above his accomplishments. But when you put in, you know, in the category of a Super Bowl winning quarterback who's done well consistently over basically the course of a decade, Aaron Rodgers is in the company only with really one other quarterback in Tom Brady. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is a unicorn. You know, we, you start using that phrase a lot with basketball players, but Aaron Rodgers is a freak of nature when it comes to the quarterback position because he's done a lot in Green Bay with less than other quarterbacks have done with more in other locations. And it just it amazes me sometimes that when you look at his numbers and then you look at the talent that's been around him, I know earlier in his career he had some more offensive weapons at wide receiver. And Greg Jennings, you know, he had Donald Driver there for a bit. But you start looking at it now, and he's got a good wide receiver around him. He's always lacked a running game. And imagine what he could do with a running game around him to kind of help him. But Aaron Rodgers deserves everything he gets at the end of the day. Of course he does. Now, that's going to do it for our NFL talk. We just wanted to make sure that we touched back on Matt Ryan's contract because it always does feel the good good to be right with how wrong we are on our predictions a lot of times. So just to say that we, we saw this coming is, you know, pretty satisfying. Exactly, yeah. Now we're going to take a little break here uh, before we dive into our MLB Prospects segment. So we'll see you back in just a second. All right, welcome on back. 
we're going to dive into our Major League Baseball prospects segment here with Sean Dwyer. And, Sean, I know this is one of your favorite topics to kind of dive into. So we're going to give the people a pretty good preview of a couple systems here. And to start off with, we have the Atlanta Braves and the Toronto Blue Jays, a couple of the best farm systems in the majors. And what Sean's going to do is he's going to run through and give you guys a little breakdown of uh, the best prospects that they have, you know, who's going to be in the major leagues over the next couple of years, who, who needs to get moved here or there in order to, you know, get these guys to play and give them a chance and who he thinks is going to be stars. So, Sean, we're going to start off with the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, I know we've talked about this, and you think that this is really the way to do it in the farm system, the way Atlanta is rebuilding from the ground up. Yeah, you know, when people talk about rebuilding and they want to have like a set way to do it, I think you should have a picture of the up on the wall when you're talking about it because they have done what needed to do to get young talent into the system at a time where they didn't have a lot and make good things happen with those players. You know, just to, I'm just going to start here right off the top. Um, MLB.com pipeline has their top 30 prospects listed you got 17 pitchers three catchers six outfielders um you get no first baseman but that's okay because you know when you've got freddie freeman locking down first base you're not going to need somebody for a while and mm-hmm. they also have kind of a, kind of a deficit in the middle of the infield outside of third base they only have four prospects in the top 30 that play second short and third but then also that's okay because you know ozzy albies and dansby swanson the starting second baseman and shortstop for Atlanta right now, they're going to be there for a long time. Um, Yeah, so that means, you know, that they definitely have to work on some other places. And the biggest place that I know Atlanta's needed some work basically since Greg Maddox left was at pitcher. So you'd want to go dive into that for these guys? Yeah, for – sorry. For pitching prospects, you know, you look at Atlanta's top prospects, seven of their top eight are pitchers. 17, as I mentioned, 17 in the top 30 are pitchers. They have a lot. They've invested a lot of draft high draft picks into pitching. And, you know, we're starting to see some of the dividends that come with those. You're going to start seeing players like Soroka, who got a start last week and had a start today. They have another guy, Luis Gohara, left-handed pitcher that can hit 97, 98. Um, Colby Allard's guy that I've heard about for a long time. And Ian Anderson, a couple draft picks from 2016, could possibly be already be contributing next year. They've got a lot of young guys that are going to be up in the pitching staff in the next year to go along with, you know, the rookie sensation this year is Ronald Acuna. Um, he's been great so far. I don't see him slowing down either. Um, Austin Riley should be a great impact player at third base and kind of lock down where they need to go for the future at third base. Yeah, now, if they're using all of this time and talent to build up in the farm system, you know, how do they make or give the guys an opportunity to play in the majors? Like you said, there's a couple guys in that middle infield who are going to be stuck there for a while. Um, but even with the, these prospects, how does Atlanta, you know, pave the way for the youngins to play? So, in my opinion, the best way to get young talent into the lineup fast is to take on dead money contracts from old other teams that are going to be expiring 
and so you can get a kind of a band-aid player in there to hold down a position for a year or two until you have a guy ready. And I think that Atlanta's also done very well on that spot. You know, they did made a deal with the Dodgers in December. You know, they took on Adrian Gonzalez, Brandon McCarthy, Scott Casimir, and Charlie Culberson, and they gave the Dodgers Matt Kemp. Now, they made the move of trading Matt Kemp because of the size of his contract, and he played in the outfield where they wanted Ronald Acuna to come in. So through a different couple of things they did, they made him spot for Acuna for the future, and they took on all this money from the Dodgers. Well, in that case, all this money is going to be clearing this year off their books. So when you add in all the free agents that Atlanta is going to lose this year, they're going to move $73 million off their books. They only have three players they're committed to and long-term contracts that have already been signed. And Freddie Freeman, Julio Tehran, and Ender Inciarte. Three positions that they need. You know, Inciarte is an outstanding outfielder in center field. Freddie Freeman's an organizational cornerstone at first base. And Julio Tehran solidifies their veteran, gives a veteran presence on their pitching staff. And all of this brings together having a nice veteran middle-aged veteran core to put all these young players around. Yeah, and like you mentioned, you know, when they took on those contracts, you know, Adrian Gonzalez had a $22 million contract. Casimir had an $18 million contract. You know, once he's get off the books, them two guys alone is $40 million to play with, which is plenty. You know, Adrian Gonzalez making $22 million. That's a That's a high – that's a star contract. And, you know, he's in his, you know – older years, which he, but now it's, as it tapers off, once they clear that up, it'll definitely be a help for their organization. Yes. And I have an idea for what Atlanta should do with all of this money that I will get to in a few minutes. And I think that what they can do, it will make, will make them a great organization. But um, when you start looking at some of the people, this contracts do expire. Um, You have Tyler flowers and Kirk Suzuki. They're two catchers this year. They both clear. Now, Atlanta does have three catching prospects in their top 30. I don't think any of them make an impact on next year's roster. If I was Atlanta, you know, you have a lot of pitching, but you don't have a lot of other position players in your farm system. So I believe they're going to try and bring Tyler Flowers back, um, possibly on a short-term deal until they can get to who I think will be the catcher of the future, which is the Cubs catcher's brother, Will Contreras. I think he will be the guy that takes over eventually when Braves have a long-term catcher. At third base, you know, Austin Riley, as I mentioned, I mentioned his name already. Austin Riley is the future of the Braves' third base. You know, I believe that he might end up getting a shot at the majors this year once Atlanta gets through this whole Jose Bautista at third base experiment, which I don't know what they're doing with that. But you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean – it makes sense to bring him in on a small deal. I mean, obviously, everybody knows the guy can play. But putting him at third base, see it. And, you know, I, I can see bringing him in, in, bringing him in to give you a little, quote-unquote, pop in the lineup. But he's still a liability with strikeouts and on the defensive side, especially now playing third base. You know, I think he's a liability. And, I mean, like you said, I think he's just one of those Band-Aid players to kind of get them past a year, yeah. maybe two, if they have to. Yeah, and then when you look at Austin Riley, in 27 games this year for the double-A team for the Braves, he's hitting three thirty-three, 
He's slugging 677. He's got 10 doubles, three triples, six home runs, 20 RBIs. He's raking down there at the double A atmosphere. So I'm, I foresee him getting a call up to triple A here pretty soon. And then hopefully, um, me being hopefully just wanting to watch all these young players play, hopefully he gets a call up in September to the Braves and we get to see the future of the Braves third baseman this year in the major leagues. And then shifting a little bit, you know, as I mentioned, the Braves pitching, you know, seven of the top eight, 17 of the top 30. I don't think that they need any help with any expiring. They have a couple expiring contracts with pitchers, but I think they have the organizational depth to fill all those spots. You know, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson's a couple years, a year and a half, maybe two years away. Kyle Wright, same situation. But you've got four other guys in the top eight that are ready to play in the majors. So I don't think they make any moves with their starting pitching. And I think in the, in the long game, too, they're going to be fine with their relief pitching because you only have five starting pitching slots, you know, regular on in the MLB. And you've got three of them already tied up with Fulte Newitz, Tehran, and Sean Newcomb. So you've got all these pitchers fighting for two basically long-term rotation spots. I think some of them will end up in the bullpen, and then you're not going to have to go out and grab a major piece of the bullpen when you've already got a bunch of young talent. Of course. Now, with all this young talent, like you know, comes a bit smaller contracts. So as, you know, the Atlanta Braves organization is to progress, what do you think they're going to do with all that extra money, you know, come free agency time? Or like like you said, if they can bring in um, a big name player, which way do you think they would go? I think there is a player that has been getting so much attention for his potential free agency this year that come to the Braves and he can solidify himself as a Hall of Famer, and that's Bryce Harper. I know a lot of people throw his name out there to the Cubs. I know a lot of people think that, you know, the usual teams you hear with a big free agent, you know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Giants, all these guys. But, no, I think the Braves have the best chance to land Bryce Harper. And I think what the reason I think that is, like I mentioned, they have $73 million coming off of their books next year. They can give him the money he wants. Also, they give him a full-time position in right field. It's all his. And with other, other with the Cubs, you know, they, they're going to be losing some of those guys to free agency once their rookie deals expire. Atlanta's got all the same team pretty much going to be there until 2023 when some of these guys' rookie deals run out. He's going to have a window to be the best team in the National League, and he won't even have to leave the division. Well, that's definitely interesting. You know, any anybody making a move on Bryce Harper like that is going to be big news. So that'd be really cool, you know, if, if you what you're talking about with this farm system, if they were able to, you know, organizationally nail that down from top to bottom. Yeah, you know, now yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. And I was just going to ask you, Sean, you know, you've mentioned a few of these guys, um, you know, how, how many good pitchers they have and, uh, you know, how many position players they're going to have to fill out. Who do you see in their farm system on the 2019 opening day roster? Oh, uh, well, I see obviously Ronald Acuna is going to still be up there. I don't think the Braves will, I think he's up for good. The Braves aren't going to send them back down. I think Austin Riley will get a very good look in spring training, and I think he'll win third base going into next year full-time. 
as far as the pitching staff, I mentioned they have a couple slots already locked down with Fulte Newitz, Tehran, and Sean Newcomb. I think Mike Soroka, you know, he had a start last week where he dominated the Mets. He got a little bit roughed up today in a start against San Francisco, but I think long-term he's solidified himself as a viable option to be a number three, number four pitcher in next year's rotation. And then I think the last spot kind of comes down to a mixture of Max Freed, Colby Allard, and Luis Gohara. And I think Allard, in my opinion, will take it. And I think he'll be the fifth starter. I think Gohara sets up great as being the future closer for the Braves. You know, he's a left-hander. He throws very hard. He can touch triple digits. Not a lot of left-handers can. And I think he just provides a different look that would be great to have as a closer. Of course. Now, you know, that that'd be pretty exciting if they could bring that many guys up, you know, just for, you know, one year of all those rookies. If they really did have the system, that would be able to have them all produce. Now, with all these, you know, with all these guys that are coming up in their farm system and the way that this works, you know, it's only a matter of time until we see everybody in the MLB. So when do you think realistically Atlanta will be able to contend for, you know, a division title or a National League title or even a World Series? Well, for me, the Braves are going to ascend very fast. I think they have a shot to win the division this year. I mean, look at it. You know, the Washington Nationals are struggling at 18 and 17. Do I think they'll struggle all year? No, I think they'll eventually bring the division and the outright. But the Braves are in first place right now, people. Something that has not happened in a long time. The Braves are in first place in the division. So, of course, they have a shot this year. But I think next year, once, you know, Bryce Harper's leaving the Nationals. It's a very poorly kept secret. The Marlins are a dumpster fire. I don't trust the Mets starting pitching to stay healthy for more than three weeks. You know, DeGrom just went on the DL again today. And the Phillies have are, are very interesting to me because they have another great farm system, but they don't have the amount of impact players that I think the Braves have. And so I think the Braves, even in, as far as next year, 2019, I think they win the division. As far as winning the National League, I think you, you know, progression, you know, the Cubs were very great, won the division, didn't make the National League, didn't represent them in the World Series. The next year they went there and won it. I think it'll be similar for the Braves, where they win the division next year, 2019. I think they compete for the National League that year, but finally win it in 2020. And I think with it between 2021, 2024, I think the Braves could be a dynasty and win multiple World Series. Well, that's definitely a bold statement, but you know, if these guys are as promising as you say they are, it sounds like they will have a pretty fair shot. I do believe that now, are, they're primed for a big future. Of course. Now, that's going to do it for the Atlanta Braves farm system. Thank you very much, Sean. We're going to go ahead and move into our other team, and we'll be back in just a second. All right, now welcome back. We're right into our next team here with Sean Dwyer and that team is the Toronto Blue Jays another you know um, major league baseball team with a very 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 solid farm system and I seem to know a little bit about this one myself but you know still gonna let Sean lead the way here and tell you guys exactly you know why they've been able to build what they have 
So, you know, with their top 30 prospects, Sean, who do they got and, and why do you see these guys succeeding? Well, we're just going to, you know, like you said, dive into it, you know, give you the same breakdown I gave you for Atlanta. They've got 11 pitchers, four catchers, two first basemen, four outfielders, and nine guys in their top 30 that make up the second base, third base, shortstop positions. And I think that, you know, they're the guys that they have at the second base, third base, shortstop position, they are all going to be impact players at some point somewhere. Um, the pitching, you know, not as strong as Atlanta's, but I don't think anybody else in the majors is. And the, you look at it, I see four guys in their top ten that could be making pretty big impacts in the next couple of years. That's Vlad Guerrero Jr., sorry, Bo Bichette, Anthony Alford, and Sean Reed Foley. I think they both will be up and be big pieces in the big future. Some other guys you could probably see, you know, Danny Jensen's a catcher. Uh, Rowdy Tellitz is a first baseman. Carlos Ramirez and Justin Romano. Those are two other guys that I think, you know, bringing up the eight players that I think will be up in the next two years. Now, how fast do you see any of these guys coming up or who, who do you think will be the quickest? I think, you know, my popular opinion right now, Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think he will be up the soonest out of all of these players. Outside of, you know, a pitching injury, which would probably force Sean Reed Foley to come up for a spot start. But barring all injuries, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is on the fastest path to the majors. Yeah, I've been seeing him rake uh, down in AAA. And, you know, he had a good showing out in spring training. And, you know, it's only gotten – more impressive as this year has gone on, especially with his bat. Exactly. You know, right now he's in double A right now. He's played in 24 games. He's hitting 398. I'm not, I'm not even going to finish giving you a bunch of his stats because he's hitting 398. Yeah. He's been very, very good at double A. Yeah, definitely understandable. I mean, his play in single A's, playing double A, has been outstanding over the last few years. And he's still a very, very young prospect, which is very promising for the Blue Jays. Which is, exactly. And one of the things I didn't mention with the Braves, but I'll mention it right now, is the only thing that's really keeping Vlad Guerrero Jr. down, in my mind, are the MS, MLB service time rules, which that's another topic for completely another day. But that's what kept Chris Bryant down for that two months to begin the season, his rookie year. Um, he's ready. I think it, they don't want his contract to start, his rookie time to start as soon as in his 19-20-year-old season, and they want to try and delay that as much as possible. Yeah, I could definitely see that because that's just less money out of their pockets and more time that they actually get to, you know, reap the benefits of his services. Exactly. Now – you know, we'll go back to our little segment, you know, paving the way for the youngins to play. Uh, there's plenty of guys in the Blue Jays organization who are going to be on the way out here soon that are going to open up spots for these guys that we're talking about. Who are they? Exactly. Exactly. You know, the big name with Toronto, you know, Josh Donaldson's contract is expiring at the end of the year. And, some, you know, we'll get, I'll circle back to that in a second. But also people expiring, you got Marco Estrada, J.A. Happ, Aaron Loop, John Axford, and Tyler Clippert. Those are all pitchers. Now, as I said, 
Toronto doesn't have as much pitching in their farm system that's ready for the majors as Atlanta is. So I foresee Toronto making some free agent deals this summer for pitchers. But Stephen Pierce, utility man, he also expires. I don't see them bringing him back just because he's a utility man. You have one, multiple guys always in your organization that could be a utility man. But going back to the big name, Josh Donaldson, I don't foresee the Toronto Blue Jays re-signing him. I think they let him walk or trade him before the end of the trade deadline this year in 2018. And I think that, as we said, paves the way for Vlad Guerrero Jr. to be the full-time starter as early as 2019, even as earlier as, you know, whenever if they do make that trade or September this year. Yeah, if he's able to step in at the end of the year, he won't lose his rookie eligibility, which would be very good for the Blue Jays. Now, exactly. Now, there's a few. There's there's actually quite a few guys who have uh, player options with the Blue Jays, which makes it for a bit interesting um, when you're playing around with the farm system because you never really know when you can plug players in. And what yeah. you know, um, those guys include Jamie Garcia, the pitcher uh, Justin Smoke, their first baseman, um, Solarte, and uh, Sung Hong Oh. I don't. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. But they got they got four yeah. guys who are holding up spots that you know they have people in the farm system who could step in and and do the do, play these positions. So you know, what do you think that does for their prospects? Well, for your, the players, Sun Quan Oh and Jaime Garcia at pitching, I think that they bring them back just because there's not organizational depth to fill in right away at pitching. Um, Justin Smoke, I think they let him walk. I don't think they pick up that option because, in my opinion, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been thrown around a lot that, you know, he might not be a third baseman long term. He might play first base long term. And so with Josh Donaldson's contract expiring, and if you're going to bring him up and put him in, you might as well just make that change right away. So Vlad Guerrero Jr., third base, first base, outfield, catcher, pitcher, don't care. You have to get him up next year. And so I think they make a couple moves to make it possible for him. And when it comes to Solarte, um, he's a guy who can play all a lot of infield and outfield, and he's a very good hitter. So I think that they keep him as kind of a fill-in for wherever their prospects don't kind of take over or young guys. If they have a hole, Solarte can fill it. So I think they keep him. Another one of those Band-Aid players that will be able to kind of exactly. do a jack-of-all-trades yeah. Yeah, jack of all trades and be able to help them out in their time of need. Yes. Now, there's a couple guys um, that the Blue Jays do have on contract for long term, which is another thing that kind of hinders the profitability of the prospect system and being able to bring guys up, you know, in a very efficient manner. And, uh, you know, Troy Tulowitzki is one of those guys – He's through 2021, but he's got a pretty big contract uh, for this long term for them. Yeah, it's, you know, people throw around the term, but, the, you know, our local team, the Tigers, you know, Jordan Zimmerman's contract is an albatross contract that's so big and it doesn't do anything. Well, Troy Tulowitzki's contract is that for the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, he has a big contract he signed many, many years ago that was just very long term. And now it's starting to get into the way. You know, he's also on – Again, this year, he's on the disabled list. He's not actually playing a lot of these games, a lot of these years, but he's getting $20 million next year. He's owed, in 2019, he's owed $20 million. In 2020, he's owed $14 million. And then in 2021, there's an option. 
You know, I could not, I was trying to look it up. I couldn't find out if that was a player or a team option. But if the, I'm the Toronto Blue Jays, I'm trying to find a way out of this contract as soon as possible. Trying to, you know, try and trade them somewhere, at least cut them outright. I don't know. But this, this contract is going to hold down a lot of money and a lot of capital for the Toronto Blue Jays in the near future. Yeah, and another one of those guys uh, who has a pretty big contract and who's actually, uh, you know, I would get on the older side is Kendris Morales, their, their designated hitter. Yeah. And, I mean, he they is. only have him for one more season, but what are they going to be able to do with him? Uh, at this point, you know, Kendris Morales, as you said, he's a designated hitter. Um, they have him while they got him is kind of my feeling on him. They're going to cut him as soon as they can, as soon as they don't longer, no longer have a use for him. Um, I think that they'll keep him through next the end of this season at least because they're not going to call up Vlad Guerrero Jr. to DH. They're not going to turn him into a DH at his 19, when he's 19 years old. Um, so you really – he's kind of taking up a spot, but he's not at the same time, if that makes any sense. But, you know, he's he's here for Toronto. He's going to stay here probably through the end of next year. And then they're going to be done with him. I don't think they re-sign him. I don't think they bring him back. I think the season ends and they just say goodbye to him. Of course. And then the, the last one that is on the books for an extended period of time is uh, Guriel, their shortstop. Yeah, Lourdes Guriel. He's a shortstop, second base, infield kind of jack-of-all-trades guy. His, as mentioned before, um, no, I didn't mention it yet, sorry. His brother is Yuli Guriel, the first baseman for Houston, who just won a World Series. Uh, he's one of those guys, he, you know, he defected from Cuba. He came up. Um, he's an interesting player to me. I would keep an eye on him in the near future. He, he's one of those guys who has the glove to be a highlight real infielder, you know. But the kind of where it gets iffy for me with him is where does he play? You know, he's a shortstop second baseman. You know, they have a second baseman now, Devin Travis is a starter. They have Troy Tulowitzki. That's, you know, their long-term as of right now, shortstop, you know, Josh Donaldson's playing third. It's going to be followed by Vlad Guerrero. Lourdes Gurriel, he kind of, to me, he gets lost in the shuffle of where he could play. And I think he could be a great player. It just didn't find a spot for him. I don't know if it's a move to the outfield, trying to find him some playing time there, but I think, they need to find him a spot and lock him down there and really work on developing his bat because he is signed through 2023. And so they have to do something with this guy or it's just going to be more dead money in the organization. Yeah. And I was going to make, make that point is if you really want these guys to develop into major league hitters, they have to see major league pitching and keeping them down in single a double a triple a, you know, and just giving them, you know, mid-tier pitchers doesn't help them improve. It just kind of lets them stay where they are. So they need to get up on that other level. Exactly. I think you can, that's so true. I agree so much with that. Is they need it. If you want these prospects to develop, they need at-bats. They need, you know, if, if they're kind of a fringe major league player, you keep them in AAA. You let them see the pitching there. But when they're ready for the majors, you call them up and you let them take their lumps. You let them see major league pitching and you see the you're going to get rewarded later for their struggles and it's going to be worth it. Now, obviously, we already know that there's plenty of talent in this organization to take take the spots of these contracts that will be going up or that they'll be trying to get rid of that we've talked about. But, you know, do you see them – 
taking the outside route that we talked about with Atlanta and possibly signing a free agent like Bryce Harper or, you know, trying to trade to get their organization into the level to compete? Um, I don't, I don't think the Blue Jays have the, the capital, the money to make a move like that and bring in one of the top free agents like a Bryce Harper. Um, he's a tier one free agent. I don't think they can bring in a tier one free agent. They're going to make some other moves. They're going to have to because of their the amount of pitching that's coming off their books. They're going to need a couple of pitchers, probably a starter or two, and some bullpen help. But I think they'll be lessened by the fact that I think, you know, talk about guys that are going to make the 2019 opening day roster. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a definite for me. Anthony Alford, he's an outfielder who was a defensive back many years ago for the Mississippi uh, Rebels. You know, he's made the transition to baseball. It's worked out very well for him. I think he makes the opening day roster next year. And as a guy that I've talked about, Sean Reed Foley, I think he starts next year for Toronto. They to have a lot of holes in their 25-man opening day roster that they need to fill when it comes to position players. I think that they have the talent inside the organization to fill the position players. I think that they'll have to add some pitchers, probably a couple bullpen guys, probably a couple starters, kind of mix and match and cut some guys what doesn't work and what does. But I think Toronto is – they're not going to be hurting for talent come next year. Now, same question that I asked you with Atlanta, you know, with this this promising of a farm system – when do you see Toronto back in the mix to compete for, you know, a division title, a, a league title, and a World Series? For me, this is a very hard question to answer because, you know, when you're talking about Toronto and then they're in the American League East, you, you've got to, you know, they're in the Ameri- you got to mention two teams, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Can do these – is this farm system enough? come up and make a help and get them over the hump and get them to a championship in the NL East. I don't think it does because at the same time, Toronto's got a good farm system. The Yankees have a better one. So the Yankees aren't going anywhere. I think that Toronto can compete for a wild card within within two years. Um, winning the American League, like I said, it's going to come down to can they beat the Yankees? Can they beat the Boston Red Sox? If they can, they'll win the American League pennant. I think they, I don't know if they have the power to compete for a World Series in the next handful of years because, you know, I, I'm so high on the Atlanta Braves. I think the Atlanta Braves are going to run the major leagues uh, by the time that Toronto is in a position to beat the Yankees and the Red Sox. Of course, you kind of took the words out of my mouth with uh, the Yankees thing. You know, their farm system is – pretty crazy over there in the AL East and you know that's something that we're going to definitely have to touch on we're going to have Sean do some intermittent farm system updates throughout the MLB season we got a long 162 game you know six seven eight month grind here for the major league so there'll be plenty to talk about and plenty to have Sean back in his happy place for so (laughs) once again thank you so much Sean you're welcome of course now That's going to do it for today's show. We always want to go ahead and say thank you for listening. We always appreciate having you guys come back each week and hopefully give us a little feedback about what you think. If there's any farm systems you'd like Sean to dive into, please let us know. He's more than happy to take a look at just about anything that has to do with prospects in, in Major League Baseball. So 
It is my guys, favorite topic to do. Of course. So if you if you guys do have any questions, make sure you shoot a comment on our page. Um, always remember to like, share, subscribe on all of our major platforms. And as always, I'm Jake Atnip. I'm Sean DeWire. Thank you for listening to Just Saying Sports. Have a good week, and we'll see you again next.